Welcome back to the Business Growth Advantage. Today I have with me your online genius. See what I did there, Bobby? <laughs> the so, one and only Bobby Clink. He is the kind of former practicing attorney that makes other lawyers wish that they had his life. He no longer practices law, although he continues to be a very valuable legal expert in the small business space. And now he is focusing more and more on this amazing and important topic of email marketing. Bobby, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Joe. Now, it's kind of funny that you made that your online genius comment because there's a funny story behind that. So for people who are here who don't know, my original brand name when I entered the online space was called Your Online Genius. And people thought that I was saying I'm your online genius. That name, and again, you, Joey, as a trademark attorney, will get a kick out of this, was my original course name was called Safeguard Your Online mm -hmm. Genius. So it was all about you, not about me, but it was this common misconception that I was saying that I am your online <laughs> genius. And it's funny that you bring that up because I had forgotten all about that. <laughs> I, you know, I ditched that branding back in 2019. And so it's been a while since someone has brought it up. Well, I just remember when I entered into the space as this new baby law firm owner who the first time I heard about Amy Porterfield, I, I thought that people were saying that Amy Poehler was an online expert. <laughs> and I was like, how can I sign up for her course? <laughs> your name and your brand were such like an inspiration for me that th there was value in that space. So thank you for pioneering, for being a leader in this space, for continuing to step into to leadership into important ways. I also want to start out by saying that Bobby has an incredible book that is coming out next month, just in a couple of weeks, actually. Yep. And it's what email marketing that doesn't suck. Yeah. Email marketing that doesn't suck. So good. So <laughs> good. So today we're going to primarily be focusing on email marketing. And one of the things that I love about Bobby is he combines this kind of like street smart energy that he has with his like Harvard education. He's very humble, but like dudes is a genius. And so when we zoom in on that topic of email marketing, I know that eventually we're going to get to the email part of this, yep. but I'm always so floored by the way, the way that Bobby thinks about and talks about marketing. So Bobby, let's start there. Like, what is it about marketing that people have wrong? So again, I have to give a bit of background here. Yes, I'm a trained lawyer. And so, yes, I did that where, again, I don't know what it was like for you, Joey, but for me, when I was coming into the legal space, marketing was kind of a dirty word. It's kind mm -hmm. of this, you know, I mean, we have words that we use for people that, again, there's no reason that we shouldn't, that there should be a problem, but we call plaintiff's lawyers what? Ambulance chasers, right? That's meant to be a term of derision, that marketing yourself to people is somehow wrong, yeah. which is so strange, but that's the legal training. That's what our ethics rules tell us. Well, yeah. I mean, again, <laughs> our, our ethics rules are dumb. I mean, to be clear, I'm a licensed lawyer. Now I'm inactive, but I was a licensed lawyer in Texas. And under the Texas rules <laughs> at the time, literally, I was required to get the Texas bar to review my website. There's like one reading that literally anytime you change your website, you would need the Texas bar to review it, which I'm like, so every time I post a blog, I'm supposed to get Texas bar? I mean- just think about that. But mm. the bigger thing to know about me is I'm the son of a business owner. My dad mm. ran a chain of drug stores that think of them as like a CVS or Dwayne Reed, but nicer. They had the pharmacy, but electronics, toys, everything. And so I grew up in that. And I didn't even realize it at the time because I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to run these businesses, but I was learning a lot. And like one thing that I have, it's just out of reach. I wish I would have had it here, but my dad had this stone on his desk and it's like a small thing. 
And it's a replica of a stone at Stu Leonard's grocery stores in the New York area. And it says our policy rule. Number one, the customer is always right. Rule number two, if the customer's ever wrong, refer back to rule number one. And so like that was the mentality that I was raised with, that your customer is who you should care about. Well, fundamentally, by the way, that's what marketing is. And that's the thing that a lot of people don't get. A lot of people use the term marketing in the wrong way. They use marketing to mean advertising. I mean, I'll literally hear people say your marketing budget. And when they say that, they mean your advertising Mm, budget. mm. Or they talk about marketing as a part of marketing that it is called marketing communications, which is your outward talking to people. But marketing, when you actually look at the definition by the American Marketing Association, is about everything. (laughs) Yeah, of course I did, right? I mean, again, I'm a lawyer. So of course I, I, I looked at the definition, but just so you know, Lawyers would love this definition. I don't have it off the top of my head, but I mean, it is legally easy in, in its own sense, but it's marketing. But it's basically, it says the, like the set of principles and ideas around creating, delivering, communicating, and something else offers to your customers, your like market and society at large. I mean, it's like, it's everything. Yeah. And the most important part of marketing has nothing to do with selling or communicating value. Mm -hmm. The most important part of marketing is understanding your audience at a deep level so that you can create an offer that sells itself. Again, not the American Marketing Association, but Peter Drucker, who is a well-known management thinker from the 20th century, said, basically, he draws the distinction and he says, the aim of marketing is to make selling superfluous. In other words... You can create a product, create an offer that you just say, here's my thing. Do you want it? And people say, yeah, I want that. And in this kind of hyper online marketing world that a lot of us are trying to move into, there is just this complete disjointed misunderstanding of what marketing is and thinking that we should be just selling, 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 and that it's really about creating demand and generating demand for our product. Well, again... I don't want to be a bummer to people, but professional marketers have defined various concepts of marketing. And by the way, I didn't learn any of this in college or law school. Sure. I'm a geek who reads marketing textbooks. <laughs> this is what I do. But originally there was a concept called production, which is, hey, make it as cheap and readily available as possible. Then there was a concept which was make it as good as possible so that people will pay more for it. Then came what was called the selling concept of marketing. This was the idea that without marketing, there won't be enough demand. So the job of the marketer is to generate demand. Any guesses on when professional marketers said we should ditch that idea and stop believing that was the way to go? Tell me. In the 50s, moving into the 60s. Okay. It's 1960. So 60 years ago, professional marketers said that's a fool's errand. Trying to create demand is a mistake. Mm-hmm. And then marketing academics called this the marketing concept of marketing, which I'm like, they really needed a marketer Jeez. to help them with some messaging. But it's really that they defined marketing as sense and react. You sense what your market wants, and then you react and fill their existing demand. And so from a fundamental perspective, if you find yourself saying, well, I need to market to generate demand. Okay. Real quick. Can we just clear the distinction between, because again, I'm thinking about like my service provider lawyers. Is there a difference between demand and awareness? Yes, there is. And to be clear, what I'm talking about here is this is like when people will say nobody wants what you have to offer, like at all. Which is a big thing in the chorus world. Right. And that's a problem. And I'm like, oh, maybe don't create that product. No, people may not know that they need what you need, but you can help them do it. So the point though is, and again, let me use my business as a very good example of this because my online business started by selling legal templates. I'm sure this comes as absolutely no surprise to you, Joey. Most online business owners had no idea that there are legal things they have to deal with, right? So they have no idea that they have the demand. But as soon as I tell them a very simple piece of information, hey, here's what can happen if you don't. They're like, oh, I need that. So that's fine. That's more about what we would call the buyer's journey of the awareness of individual people. But there is actually a need for things. And so 
the point is that marketing should be about meeting an existing need, even if people don't know about it, a real need. And you believing it's a need is not the same as there being yeah. a need. And so that was the predominant thought about marketing for the latter half of the 20th century. Now we are in a concept of marketing that people call holistic marketing and or relationship marketing, which are two different things, but similar. But the concept is that marketing is everything and that marketing includes the way you talk and communicate with your internal team, with your partners, with your vendors, and thinking about the effects of your business and your marketing on the world at large. So you think about Tom's shoes, you think about Ben and Jerry's, yep. but also think about everything that's happening right now with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. All the businesses making decisions. I mean, again, as, as live here, yesterday was the day that Netflix has taken a bath because they made a hard decision to pull out of Russia, which meant they had a decline in their subscribers. Well, the current thinking of marketing is that's the right way to do it. Again, whatever your stands are, you yeah. take stands for things and you say what you believe in. Mm. And so when you think about it, when I describe marketing that way, it doesn't sound much like what most people are using the term to no. mean online. It's I, very different. Okay. And before we zoom in more on this, I just want to help clarify. And I yep. know that if I ask this question, I'm confident that you have thought out an answer here. When you think about marketing in that holistic of a way, I don't want to mm -hmm. use holistic in the wrong sense there, but mm -hmm. at that point, when marketing is really everything, mm -hmm. can you help people clarify the difference between marketing and branding at that level? Yeah. So branding is one little thing and, and branding mm. and your brand is even something different, right? Your brand is what people think about you. It's the emotional reaction that people have to you as a brand. It's a sub part of marketing, but not even marketing. It's a sub part to me of business building. So again, not to get off on a, on a ridiculous tangent, but I've created something called the knowledge brand canvas, which is if you've heard of the business model canvas and these ideas mm. that like traditional businesses use to see where everything fits on one page. Well, I created one that is made for knowledge brands, which by the way, the lawyers, all the service providers in your audiences, we're all knowledge brands. If you sell knowledge, know-how or expertise or your time, you're a knowledge brand. And the first silo to me is looking internally. So it's partly what is your area of expertise, but also what is your personality? So like that's one part of it. But then another part is defining a brand avatar. And the thing I suggest for people, if you haven't done this, is look at the Jungian, like Carl Jung, the Jungian mm -hmm. archetypes. And this is, there are these different types of personalities for brands and understanding that then affects all of your branding. So I am a rebel with a bit of jester mixed in. So that you just have this language at your fingertips. It's so <laughs> impressive. But so like when you know that I'm a rebel with Jester mixed in, then if you like land on my website and you see that in most of my images, I'm wearing Ray-Bans. A lot of them yeah. are black and white. A lot of them are taken in environments with graffiti on the wall. And it almost has a rock and roll feel with yeah. a little bit because that's my brand. But then my emails, by the way, lean more into the rebel and the Jester. And this is where I say my emails not that I'm nearly as cool as him, but I'm kind of like Han Solo. I'm the guy who seems to care all about the money, but you know I have a heart of gold and I'm not going to be the person who's going to be Yoda or Obi-Wan Kenobi and help you that way. No, I'm the guy who's going to come in behind and shoot Vader off your tail and help you avoid the mistakes. Nice. But all of this is branding, right? And all of this impacts everything. But that branding, like someone could have the exact same branding as me, but have very different core values and beliefs about things. And okay. so those are kind of distinct things, but they're both important for you when yeah. you're building a business. Man, this is, I'm so glad that you fleshed this out. And again, before we dive into the email side, I asked you before we went live, if marketing is this more encompassing thing, mm -hmm. then- what is it that most people call marketing? And I think you use the word traffic in terms of so yeah, well, it comes to like the sales department. But I actually, I think most people online would actually call their sales department marketing. And mm. this is like one of the big distinctions in my, like in a big business, like in a traditional business, your marketing department's job is to deliver sales qualified leads to the right. sales department, right? That's the job. One of my big gripes with what a lot of people are doing is they're trying to sell to people who are not sales qualified. They're trying to wrap 
the marketing and the selling all together. And yeah. an example of this, if your sales page has to really dig in and do a lot of work to get people to recognize that they need not your product, but any solution to their problem, yeah. you're mixing marketing and sales. Mm, really because well said. Marketing, the content you create, all of that stuff should help people recognize, do I need a solution? Yeah. Sales, their job should be, okay, you've decided you need a solution. Let me walk through why my solution is the right one. And again, this is where the blending of it all is problematic for me, because what is something that we've heard about copywriting in the online space? Should we talk about benefits or features? Well, right. That's what copywriters yeah. always say. Fundamentally at the sales stage, I disagree. Mm. Fundamentally at the sales stage, I should already know the benefits. I should be saying, does this product have the features that I want? Mm -hmm. Does it have does it address, again, if we're talking about an online course, does it address the topics that I want to learn about? Yeah. Does it have the level of support I want? I shouldn't need at that point to be told what is the benefit of learning about email marketing right. or the benefit of learning about Facebook ads. That's, again, the fact that this is how we're selling based upon benefits and not features is weird. Think about how you go shop for a computer. Are you going to a computer and being told, oh, well, if you buy this, you'll be able to do that. No, you're looking at the specs. You're saying, what, what, yeah. what's the RAM? What's the memory? What's all of that stuff? I'm simply asking, why are we any different? I have some thoughts, but I think we're not. I think, and, the, yeah, go ahead. No, I love the way that you're kind of shifting the vocabulary around in this conversation, because what I think I'm hearing and what I want to clarify is you're not saying that there shouldn't be any content on your social media that is trying to convert people no. because oh, there, there can be like sales-based content mm -hmm. on your social media, yes. but that's not coming from what is traditional, what should be kind of seen as more of the marketing exactly. side. And again, like a lot of people hear me say this and I'm saying, look, I sell more than most people. If you're on my mm. email list, I'm going to sell to you. I'm going to make offers a lot. Yeah. But the difference is that that's not all I'm doing. And I know the place. And uh, right. here's another little subtle point here. Selling isn't just, in some sense, when you're selling, it's not always about money. For example, if I am inviting you to a webinar, I'm selling to you at that moment. I'm selling you on the benefits of that webinar. I mean, it's selling. It's not marketing, right? It's something different. And in email, the big thing, like one of the big mistakes I see people make is every email is effectively selling. And what I mean by that is maybe a lot of the emails don't seem like it because it's, hey, go check out my blog or go check out my podcast. But the entire goal of the email is to is get the funnel. click. It's yep. to get the click. Even if it's not a real funnel, it's just, hey, go mm -hmm. check out my podcast. But really the only purpose and the goal and the way people write that email is geared towards getting that click. And think about outside of the context of business, outside of the context of whatever you're building, what does it feel like to you if every time someone talks to you, they're making an ask? You don't like it. No. And you quickly lose trust Correct. that they're ever going to do anything other than want right. something from you. Right. If you have a friend yeah. who is like that, they're probably not your friend anymore. At some point, you just get tired of it. But we as marketers or business owners are often doing that subconsciously. Not We're not... A lot of times we don't think that what we're doing is a big ask because we're saying, go check out our podcast. But here's this distinction. When I sucked at email, which I did for a long time, my emails about my content didn't ever give the lesson. It was all curiosity-based, aimed at trying to get them to click on the thing to go listen to the podcast, yeah. right? Because it's yeah. conversion copywriting. At some point, I ditched that and said, what if I just gave some value, connected with my people and let them decide whether they wanted to go deeper, but I'm not going to hide the ball from them. Because what I found is some people, they just want my, you know, pithy little two sentence explanation. Other people, Hey, even if I give them the two to three pithy, you know, two to three sentence pithy explanation, they're still going to want to go listen to my hour and a half long podcast. It's only in jest, but you know, my 45 wow. minute where I go deep. <laughs> This is so good. It makes me think, again, I want to put myself in the shoes of why business owners even think to put this type of pressure on what marketing means. And I think so many people get sold this idea of, oh, if you don't have the sales that you want, if your business has, isn't at a certain revenue point, then we need to focus on your marketing mm -hmm. to get you there. What I'm hearing you say is 
what if we created a world for your business where we were figuring out how to make those goals being met elsewhere or more thoughtfully in other places so we can take the pressure off of what marketing means for you to really serve your audience. Yeah, that's part of it. Also what I'll tell you, and I don't like, I think your audience doesn't have this problem, but I think a big part of the problem that people, why they put pressure on this is because no one is willing to give them the bad news. And let me explain what I mean. Yeah. I was part of, I was in a Facebook group. It was a pop-up launch Facebook group selling a program about how to create online courses. And someone was literally saying, I have an idea for a course about how to run a bubble bath. Okay. The admins in the group were like, oh, that sounds like an amazing course. Like an actual bubble bath. Yes. A bubble bath. <laughs> this isn't some term that I've not heard no, of. No. Like, okay. A bubble bath. And I'm sitting there saying, can again, it wasn't my place. I was just a fly on the wall. I was like, is no sure. one going to stand up and say, well, unless you have something else you're going to sell, maybe you sell physical products that they can use for the bubble bath, making a course about bubble baths is probably not going to be a good business proposition. Yeah. Going back to what you said earlier, the offer has to really stand on its own. There has to be a demand or a need for it. Right. And again, it has to be something where the demand is going to be enough yeah. because mm. I could create a course on all kinds of things. I could go create a course on how to brew some beer, but I don't think I could sell enough to make a business out of it because that's not my primary business where, and yeah. this is the kind of stuff. So that's a lot of why there's pressure on people is because no one will tell them don't do that. You know, that's not a good idea, yeah. but separately, you're right. I mean, a lot of people are sold this notion that using this very high focus on conversion, focus on direct response marketing, which is this part of mm -hmm. everything that I do, I want a direct response from you that if you use it, and if you're willing to use all of the buttons here and there, oftentimes will work faster, not always, but oftentimes mm -hmm. will work faster faster than the traditional approach to building brand equity and doing those things. My belief, however, is that it is not sustainable and it's going to turn yeah. so many people off in the process that you're hurting your brand. Mm. Whereas if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to put in the time that of marketing, things are easier. So if you're willing to create the right content and do it strategically so that you're nurturing people before they ever really enter your sales funnel, guess what? You're going to be able to sell to them easily, but that's going to take time. It's going to take effort. You're going to have to be willing to create that content. Yeah. The same thing if you're willing to build brand equity, like the way that I built my online business at the outset was very simple. I spent a bunch of my time in Facebook groups where online business owners were, and I didn't pitch myself. I didn't do anything. I just answered questions. I just provided value over and over again. And anytime a legal question came up, I obviously answered it. And so what happened was all of a sudden I built this brand equity and I no longer have to do that because now I have other people who are out saying, oh, go check out Bobby. Oh, go check yep. out Bobby's. Yep. And that's the thing, but you've got to be willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. And that means you got to put the time in. This is so good. I'm so thankful for this conversation about marketing. I know the people who are watching live or on the replay will have some light bulb moments. I don't know how long of a story this is for you to share, but <laughs> in your journey on learning all of this stuff, what made you decide to focus on emails? I don't know that I decided so much. And again, I don't like, Joey, I don't know how you became a trademark lawyer, but a lot mm. of us, we kind of fell into it, okay. especially like me with litigation, all these things. I kind of fell into being an IP lawyer. I mm. joined a firm in 2010, never having, I didn't take a single intellectual property course in law school. I knew nothing about it. And all of a sudden I became a patent litigator because we had a case at this very small firm they didn't really know anything about patent litigation either. They had a different expertise I didn't really know about that we had an active case. So I took the patent case and it was me against Skadden Arp and the top 10 to 15 lawyers in their San Francisco office and just me. And so wow. I fell into it, right? And so that's how I became a patent litigator, which is what I then spent the last like seven years of my legal practice doing. But email is, I think part of it is I am a creature of my age, which is I'll be 44 the day the book launches. And so nice. Well planned. I mean, oh yeah. It's like, hey, what, what better present than launching a book? But to me, email is my natural form of communication. I like it more than texting. I like it more than, than Facebook Messenger because I'm kind of verbose. I, I kind of have a lot to say. 
And so an email, I can do that more, right? So that it kind of fits me. But until 2018, so 2017, 2018, I was doing all the things that other people do wrong. My emails were boring as, mm. you know, could be. It was in this week's episode of the Online Genius Podcast, I'm talking about X. And then it was those curiosity driven. When you listen, you'll learn why it's important, how to do. I didn't tell them anything. I just told them why they should listen. And then I went to an entrepreneurial event, Amy Porterfield's event in 2018. And it was one of the speakers. There was Tarzan Kay, who was my first email mentor. And she talked about telling stories and how you can tell stories in email and how that's what you should be doing instead of all of the other stuff. Well, she talked about this. Well, a funny story had happened to me at that event. So the night before the event started in in earnest, Amy had a meet and greet. At that point, I was working with her team on legal stuff. So I kind of knew them, right? I, I had built connections. I was there at the event. There was this big, huge line to go take pictures with her. I'm just sure. chatting with other people. Like, oh, come on, let's go get in line. It's like, okay, fine. So I go get in line and the line, I don't know, we're chatting the whole way. And then I get to the front and her integrator was there. And I knew her because we'd been working together. So I was like, Amy, whatever. I want to take a picture with Chloe. And so we take a selfie. And then I go, I take my picture with Amy. We chat, we do all that. The rest of the night was a, a blur. I'm an extrovert when I'm around my people. So there was dinner, there was drinks. I shut down the bar, not because I was necessarily drinking, but because I, I was like, this is awesome. I don't want to yeah. leave these people. So I go back to my room about midnight and I'm in California. I live in DC. I go back to my room. I look on my phone and I see that selfie we took. In the background, Amy is photobombing us with her tongue like this. Literally, she did it on purpose to be funny. I'm like rolling on the ground laughing. And for people who are watching this, if you don't know Amy, like her public persona is not that. It, it's very, you know, polished. No, no tongues out is pretty much her right. motto, right? <laughs> but I mean, she has like that fun kind of yes. side. But so anyway, so there was that. And I got to tell somebody about this. Yes. So I text the picture to my wife who worked with Amy and all that. Yeah. But it was like 3 a.m. where my wife was. So the next morning I wake up and to a one-line response from my wife. Why are you sending me pictures of you with random women? Because literally I just sent my wife this picture of me, you know, for, like close with one person and then another one with background, not even realizing that my wife knew about Amy, but has no idea that's Amy behind me or that this is one of Amy's team members that, that sure. I'm working with. So when Tarzan made that presentation about, hey, you should tell stories in email, I was talking to another one of the people who I'd kind of met through this group and who became one of my good friends. And she looked, and I told her the story of what had happened with my wife. And she looks at me and says, I think we know what your next email is going to be about. Mm -hmm. And so it was that very next email. I literally overnight shifted. I mean, I shifted from boring to, to really one of my most memorable emails that I've ever sent. And a funny thing happened when I sent that email. I mean, not only were open rates higher, the subject line helped with that because the subject line was literally, why are you sending me pictures of you with random women? And I told the story and amazing, but I got responses. I'd never had someone reply to an email before ever. And all of a sudden I got a bunch of them and people loved it and yeah. people were in heaven. And then the next week I followed up with, I don't even remember what the story was. It was not nearly as memorable, but it was another personal story and it, it had to do with the event somehow. Yeah. And after that email, I got a response from someone who said, I've been on your list for a long time. And for the first time, I feel like you're a person, not a big company. And for the first time, I want to do business with you. And so I said, I'm sold. And so I leaned into this approach to email and, and I was like, I'm Pavlov's dogs. You give me some training. I will, I'll do what works. And so I started doing that. And really the magic of my emails was my weekly emails for a long time. These kind of things where I just let people into my life. And it was funny. Some of the people who I knew at the time said, you got to calm down. Your weekly emails, they shouldn't be this good. You should mm -hmm. save the good stuff for sales emails. And I was, uh... like, I was like, no, nah, I'm not listening to you on that. And so I just kept doing it. And by sending weekly emails and really kind of the power of my weekly emails is it, the structure is pretty simple. There's a hook, which is your subject line. There's a story. There's a lesson or a message, and then there is a call to action. And then like 20 gifts, no, <laughs> videos. No. That's what I love about Bobby is so many people want to get fan. They think next level emails is getting fancy with the way it looks. Well, oh, let me tell you about that. Let me tell you about that. HubSpot did a study. 
So if you don't know HubSpot, they are the brand, the king of inbound marketing. And they did a study and like two thirds of people say that what they want from like brands, from marketers is more images, less text. Okay. Yeah, That's what yep. they say. But their study, they did A-B testing and they found every single time simple plain text email gets opened more and has higher click-through rates every single time. Even just the difference of adding a GIF, that actually reduces open rates and reduces click-through rates. Wow. For everybody who's tuning in, you should be taking notes because this is one of those like rock solid tips in the other direction of, of what most marketers are telling you to do. Bobby, I want to real quickly circle back to what you said too about that idea of your brand personality being the mm -hmm. rebel and kind yep. of the jester. Yep. I want to make sure that people see, again, just going back to this framework that you've set, it seems like not everybody has that brand where like them being them means them being funny the way that oh, you are. Definitely not. Definitely not. And, and I always use, it's perfect. There's a woman in my coaching program who is the perfect counterbalance to me. Mm. She has a program that is, it's a membership that is yoga, breath work, meditation, and, and pelvic floor exercises for pregnant women. She has like just exudes the energy of a yogi, of a very calm, very just, you know, that is her energy. Yeah. Her emails are going to sound more like this. They're going to be very calm. They're going to be that. Mm -hmm. If she was all like frantic and high energy like I am, it wouldn't work. Yep. Right. And so you have to lean into your personality. And again, this is why like, I'm a big believer that especially as a small business, our brand avatar and our personal avatar should be pretty darn similar. They don't have to be exact, mm. but it would be weird for me to have a very stuffy, formal brand because that's not me. I right. was in a punk rock band in college. I am not stuffy in spite of my lawyering days. And so yeah. you'll feel rough. So that's what I'm saying. You find what works for you. And so one of the brand avatars, by the way, is, and again, I wish they had a non-gendered way, but it's the every man. And so the concept of it is, this is like the, you know, just the everyday person who's like, you know, just your friend, very different. And so understanding those things will help, but you can even go deeper. Like there's your brand avatar, but then there's also your voice. And we worked with a voice expert who's fantastic. If people are interested, Justin Blackman, Pretty Fly Copywriting, he helped yeah. us. And he actually has this thing. There, there are various voices that people use. There's like, one is literally the voice of God. And that's for like the brands that are very much from down on high. There's all of these different things. I broke the mold, as you would expect. Right. I don't fit into any of his places. So he did something with me that he would never do with anyone else, which he says, I am the big brother at the bar. But really, nice. but really there's two parts to my voice. And he recognized this. Sometimes I'm the big brother that's joking with you. That's the snarky funny. Other times I'm the big brother who's pulling you aside to keep you out of trouble. And so like, it's a very different, and you'll see this when I talk, my emails tend to be the jokey one, but when I'm speaking at events, when I'm talking about things, sometimes people say, I sound like a preacher at a pulpit delivering a sermon and I'm staccato like this. And that's where I'm serious. I'm not funny. That's where I'm bringing out. That's where I almost inevitably end up crying. Because I'm mm. delivering a message that I believe is powerful, that my people do. And the crying is out of caring about the people that yeah. I'm serving. But I know those voices too. So when you read my emails, and again, look, if you're a lawyer and you're writing your emails, you're not going to follow this, right? Probably. Like Joey, you could, but because of the people sure. you serve. My emails very much are conversational I don't worry about punk. I mean, it's not that I don't worry about punctuation, but I know. Not your priority. I mean, there's fragments. There's run-on sentences. Yeah. There's dangling participles. There's all of those things. I'm doing it all wrong, but that's because that's how I speak. Yeah. But yeah. also the cadence of my writing follows the cadence of my speech, which I say, I'm not Christopher Walken, but you'll find a lot of ellipses because I do two things when I speak where an ellipses is good. Number one, sometimes I put Christopher Walken kind of space where there shouldn't be one and an right. ellipses works there. Other places, what I do is where there should be two sentences, I quickly go without a pause. And to me, that's what an ellipses does. So mm -hmm. I'm putting punctuation so that as people read, 
they're naturally going to be reading it at the cadence that I would be speaking. And it sounds like you just type as you write. You're not one of those people who just kind of voice memos yourself and then oh, no, writes that out. No, I don't voice memo because again, I'm not that old. Okay. I'm, I'm not that old where, you know, I actually worked with lawyers who still use. Oh, I, it's crazy. And I'm like, I can't imagine doing that. It's a skill to do, but no, I never do that. But what I do is I pay attention to how I talk. I know yeah. my speech patterns. And there's other things like we've picked up on. I say candidly a lot. And so yeah. that gets like those kinds of phrases find their way into my email. Also, I have a lot of asides. I'm the kind yeah. of guy I'm like, ah, let me, oh yeah, well, we're talking about that. Let me talk about this over thing and then we'll come back. So my emails will often have like, I have a thought and it's like in like the next paragraph in parentheses, side note, colon, and then I put the side note and then we go back to the point because that's how I talk. Yeah. My emails are also littered with references to beer and pop culture because those are things I like. And so I'm just adding my personality so people get to know me. Yeah. And again, how far you go on this will depend on you and your audience. So if you are more formal and will interact with people in a more formal way, your emails will be more formal. There's no yeah. question about it. But if you're not, if you're going to be you this, do it. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be this funny, lighthearted person, once they buy from you, do that on the front end. Cause otherwise you might end up with the people who want the stuffy suited lawyer, not the fun one. Really well said. Yeah. And your front end and your back end should all be the same. Now, in terms of, Again, a lot of business owners, I think that we didn't talk about this before we went live, but you told me about how back in the practicing attorney days, when you would get that ding on your phone of a new email in your inbox, there would be a lot of dread, you know, okay, what's the bad news this time? <laughs> For the business owners that are tuning in that still have that type of knee-jerk reaction, what tips do you have for them to start to dip their toes into liking this email stuff. Okay. Yeah. So let me give a little more context to that. I was a yeah. litigator mm -hmm. who at the end was almost always on contingency. Okay. So ah. if you think about it, <laughs> when you're a contingency fee lawyer, basically you're trying to avoid problems and there will be these short bursts of time where you're settling a case, right? So right. you know, when that has happening, when you're in those settlement discussions, those dings on the phone, I wanted them, but mm -hmm. every other time, effectively, I was like, uh oh, did the judge just issue a ruling throwing my case out? Did the judge just issue a ruling doing this? Or did the judge just issue a ruling saying we're having a hearing in two days fly across the country? Yeah. Did the other side just send me a set of 57 interrogatories that I have to answer or document requests? You know, it was just all of this. And I was like, yeah. I did not like it. But that's because of the nature of how email works. Email, I think most of us, there's certain emails we don't like, but here's what I would ask. What, how do you respond when you get an email from a friend? I expect that when you get an email from a friend, it makes you happy. It actually like, you know, kind of brightens your day. Again, assuming that it's not, I don't know. I guess they're, I guess it happens more rarely these days, getting an email from a right. friend. <laughs> right. But I mean, you know, there are certain people. And what I say is like, yeah. the way you need to look at email is think about your inbox and what your practice is when you're going through your inbox. Mm. There's like, you don't look at subject lines. Eventually you do, but your first thing is you're scanning the person because there are certain people that, you know, you just want to hear from and cool. I want to read this one. And then there are people it's like, I'm never reading anything that person sends me because I know it's always junk. And so that's, I think we have to think about email as marketers, kind of how we would think about it. First of all, say, how do we react to email in our inbox? And yeah. we should craft our email strategy around let's be more like the emails we like and less like the emails we don't like. And because of that, what I'd suggest to people is be like the emails from your friend as much as possible. Think about how can my emails to my audience seem like those emails from their friends where it's not, again, this is part of the reason, candidly, this is why I always did plain text, but then HubSpot proved me right. I mean, I don't know about you, yeah, but I have never created a fancy email template to send to my friends. We don't do that. We do that for marketing. And part of that is like, think about, think about what that does to your reader's brain. When they see it, they see it, they say, Oh, this is a marketing email in like yeah. subconsciously, their mind immediately says that. Whereas instead, if it's just plain text and it starts with a story, 
their mind, their defenses aren't up. Their mm-hmm. guard's not up because they're thinking, okay, well, let me read this. Let me see what it is. And so that's everything I'm doing is I'm thinking about it that way. But what I'll tell you is if the audience, if you're practicing lawyer and you're thinking about dipping your toes into something else, I'm here to tell you that email can be fun. I love getting email. Like nowadays when my phone dings, it's half the time it's because I'm making money or it's something else. And so I actually enjoy emails or it's someone's responding to one of my emails and I respond to them. And so it's one of those things. Email doesn't have to be something you dread if you're not getting emails from people that you don't want to hear from. And so that's what you want to do. Oh, this is so good, Bobby. And for anybody who is tuning into this, maybe you didn't catch the beginning of the episode and you're thinking to yourself, this all sounds great in theory, but like, how am I going to quickly get leads for my business if this is my email strategy? It's, that's kind of the point, yeah. right? So, well, and again, is, you know, let, let me step back on that. And again, this is like my thoughts on email. And again, I, I hate that I had like, that I wrote a, I don't hate that I wrote a book. Let me put that in a different <laughs> way. I hate that a book by nature, it's like the content was locked seven months ago, eight months ago. I don't remember because like my thoughts are always evolving. And, and I had this great discussion on Facebook, not even about email, but it was like an aha moment because a lot of people I think think there is a tension between selling with email and nurturing with email and that you have to either be one of these people who believes, oh, well, I've, I've got to nurture them for seven months before I make an offer or you got to go the other way where as soon as you get on my list, I'm going to make an offer and I'm going to say you have 12 seconds to decide or I'm going to raise prices by 18,000%. And then if you say yes, then there's going to be an upsell. And if you say no, then there's going to be a downsell. And again, you got to click 18 different times to say no before you stop getting that. And because I think a lot of people have had this experience with the sales stuff that they hate, Mm -hmm. they're, they're too reluctant, but it doesn't have to be either or. Like people, let me tell like what happens to someone who my freebie that I've had forever for the legal stuff is I give away my privacy policy template for free. Okay. Someone signs up for that. When they sign up, by the way, they immediately go to a confirmation page that says, Hey, privacy policy is on its way. By the way, do you know, there's two other policies you probably want on your website. You can grab them right now for $27. And so there's a sales page for that. If they buy great, then they're going to go into a nurture sequence. If they don't buy they're going to get a series of emails that try to sell them into that. Again, it's a $27 yep. offer, but there's that. Okay. So I do that three or four emails. I'm not over the top. I'm not saying you got to buy now. I'm saying this stuff's always this price, but you really need it. And so let me tell you why. And, and, and I do that. Whether they buy or not at that point, they go into a nurture sequence, which gives them value, which I share a lot of things, ironically, about the fact that my college I mean, there's basically less about copyright law where I share that my, my college band, we like literally sampled big sections of movies. I'm like, I'm like, you can't do that. And so like, I I talk about that and then there's one that's about branding, which is my trademark one, which is about how I talk about your online genius. I talk about the fact that my my high school band was called app anthropic, which doesn't even mean what we thought it meant because we didn't really understand Greek. And then how I was going to start a beer company called Hopstadt, which is the German word for capital city, which is great. Except when you're creating a brand that you want people to say the name out loud in a bar, you probably don't want a name that they're not going to know how to pronounce because they're not going to want to say it. So again, I had these funny lessons, but then teach them a lesson about copyright, about yeah. trademark, about those things. So I think that's five or six emails. Right after that, they go into a six email sales sequence, inviting them to buy my template library, which is all of my things. As we're recording, it's a thousand dollars. We're raising the price soon, but I sell to them right away, but also those emails on that thing say, Hey, I'm going to be sending you some emails from this right at the top. If you don't want it, click here and we won't send them to Mm -hmm. you. We let them opt out right then if they don't want to get those emails. So I'm able to sell right up front, but it's not in a pushy buy now or you're dead to me approach that most people do. Bobby, I know before we went live, you were like, how long are we going? And I was like, for 30 minutes to 45 minutes. You're like, okay, maybe an hour and a half. We could yeah. easily talk for hours here. And maybe we should do a follow-up or at least like I can have you in my group and we can do some yeah. Q&A on all of this stuff. Because I think you have such a powerful mind around so much of this. But can you share more information about the book and also yeah. about this special thing that people will yeah. get if they buy it by a certain time? Yeah. So the book is Email Marketing That Doesn't Suck. It started, by the way. Oh, good. I got to tell a story because I can't help myself. My team only gave me permission 
to write the book after our virtual event at the end of 2020, where we had just amazing results. I did an event. It's where I announced that we were creating this free training program mm -hmm. for online entrepreneurs. And we converted 30% of the room into a $7,000 offer at, at a virtual wow. event. So we were talking in the after thing. And so I asked my integrator said this long thing about how amazing it was. I said, Hey, can I write my book now? And she said, eat your cake, which she says, I've got to eat my vegetables mm -hmm. before I can eat my cake. So at the time we thought it was going to be a book about being a serve first entrepreneur and these deep things. And then I realized it's not time to take people to business church yet. It's time for funny big brother at the bar. So it became an email book instead. Okay. And so that's how it happened. We wrote it. It'll be on sale May 3rd on Amazon. There will be a sale on the ebook. My book team wants me to promote the ebook. I don't know about you, but nonfiction, I would never read it as an ebook. You can also buy hard copy, but look, if you want to help me get to bestseller status on Amazon with ebook, feel free. It'll be 99 cents the first week. So, awesome. but you can get it there. But a couple of other things. Number, we also have a resource page that will be live next Tuesday on the 26th, bobbyclint.com forward slash email. Swipe files, downloads. I'm dropping an entire 11 podcast series all at once. Netflix awesome. style. You can binge it all, which is basically a mini course on email. All that there. And then anyone who's bought the book, even just the 99 cent ebook by May 25th, will have the opportunity. We're putting on a two-day virtual boot camp, May 25th and May 26th, where we're going to help people find their email voice, find like like the avatar and the voice and the stuff we've talked about here, because that's the big challenge I hear from people is like, I'm not funny like you, Bobby. And, mm -hmm. and anytime people say that, I say, you know what? My wife would assure you I am not funny. And so there's like things like just figuring out what is your voice? What kind of voice yeah. should you have? And then kind of crafting that so that you'll be ready and can start implementing all the stuff in the book, all the swipe, all the different stuff we give. And so that's my call to action. It, my course is Badass Email Marketing. So that's Badass Email Marketing Live 2022. I don't know if there will be a 2023, but we're at least, you know. In general, there might not be a 2023. <laughs> <laughs> no, who knows? But we're leaving open the chance that we'll do another one of these events. But awesome. we love doing it. And we've done these boot camps. Like we, we do virtual events, which people love. And then we've done these boot camps for my coaching people. And we just love getting in and helping people take action. So that's what we got. And again, I don't know a lot of people who would give you that for 99 cents, but you know, you buy a 99 cent ebook, you'll be able to get that. I mean, all that I can say as you wrap up here is that when you find people in the business world that combine these types of brains with this kind of heart, you want to keep them close. And so I, I can't recommend enough that everybody just continues to pick up what Bobby's throwing down, pay the next to nothing to get the book, tune into everything that's coming. I'll make sure that my team and I put proper links around all of this and that we keep it updated as things unfold. Bobby, is there anything else... I know that to an extent, your supporters' hands are tied until the book comes out and people can start leaving reviews. Is there anything else we can do in the meantime to support you? Uh, look, I would just love for people to start to get started on this stuff. And so mm -hmm. again, if you want to get started right now, I mean, yes, I gave you that one page, which will go live next week, but you can go to bobbyclink.com forward slash BOMU, B-O-M-U, today. That is my free training university. It started with one course. Now there are 10. We will be adding an 11th shortly. And it includes my email marketing course, which by the way, mm -hmm. if you get in there, this is an email marketing course, which I originally sold. It is a course that rivals a thousand dollar course. Now mm -hmm. you'll have to excuse me because I'm still wearing like button downs and that one. Not, not really fancy, but fancier than I am now. We're re-recording it from awesome. the ground up, redoing stuff, but you can get in there right now and get started. What I care about you can support me all you want, but my biggest thing is I want you to quit hating email and I want you to quit mm. sending crappy emails. Even if I'm not on your list, I just want you to do that. And so- Yeah, well, and now that Bobby is in your world, you don't want him replying to your email saying- I hated this. <laughs> so, I don't do that. Come on. No, I'm not, I'm no not. but I mean that in that like you can't unlearn what we talked about here. Yeah. And I think- as good as some of us think that we might've gotten over email with email over the years, there is always opportunity to get better at this stuff. Always opportunities to say like, you know, Oh yeah, there's, there's still this kind of outdated thing that I built that people are still getting on my email list. How can I tweak this? How can I make my weekly emails better? We didn't even touch the fact that the Bobby has more of a hate relationship 
with the word newsletter. I've mellowed on that a bit, <laughs> as long as you make it not boring. I sent a newsletter for a while. It started with a rant. So literally it would be some rant about something I'd seen in the online marketing space, then a tip related to that rant, then some other stuff. So my problem is with the idea and, and it's a misunderstanding of what your email should be. And yeah. that's why I complain about it. But uh, yeah, it by the way, suck. no, I do want to point out though, something that you talked about there that I do want to touch on is like email, your sequences, like there's some sequences you're going to set up in your business, but you do have to go back and look at them every once in a while. And, and I'll tell you a very real story about this. One of my classic emails that people like I sent it live as a weekly email and then it got repurposed into a sequence was a story of a prank that the, my fellow prosecutors and ATF and DEA agents played on me when I was a, a baby, brand new mm-hmm. AUSA. I'd never been a prosecutor before. There was a period where you were the duty attorney, which meant you carried a cell phone with you for the week to answer questions off hours. And I get a call while we're out at happy hour with the other attorneys and it's from the ATF agent, like jokingly, like not joking. I didn't realize at the time, but basically asking my permission to use deadly force. And I told this, it was a very involved story. This just like my email Mm. mentors who got it, like said, my goodness, this is the best email I've ever gotten. The problem was after George Floyd, I realized that's not something you joke about. It's even though it was a joke at the Mm, moment, it was a prank. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. not something that's funny. And so, you know, again, you're going to have to evolve. Yeah. And, you know, luckily, I, I say luckily, I mean, I actually forgot that email's in my sequence. And someone responded and said, hey, I, and I was like, oh, man, you are right. And so I went and I pulled it out that day because I was like, this just, it's not funny. Now, yeah. it, it's not that it stopped being funny. It really never should have been funny. Sure, sure. But I didn't recognize it until that moment. And so I was like, okay, I get it. Mm. We have to evolve as people. And so email is something that will, will change and you're going to do it. But it's also unlike a lot of the social media, it's a medium that's been around for a long time and we know it will continue to work for the foreseeable Uh, future at least. Very true. Very true. Well, Bobby, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. You're just the best at all this stuff. So thanks for your time. Thanks for everybody for for tuning in live replay on the podcast. Until next time, this has been an episode of the Business Growth Advantage. I'll see you guys all next Wednesday. Bye, everybody. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Business Growth Advantage with me, Joey C. Vitale. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see y'all next week.